Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. It is Thursday, February 8th. Yesterday's earnings release by the Walt Disney Company wasn't a normal quarterly call. It was the last earnings before a proxy fight showdown with Nelson Peltz, the activist who wants a board seat for himself and Jay Rizzullo, the company's former CFO. So it was crucially important that Disney kill it. We've talked about this fight and how much Disney CEO Bob Iger wants to keep these guys off the board, especially considering they're backed by Ike Perlmutter, the former Marvel chairman, who is now Iger's nemesis. So Iger released his first quarterly earnings, and they were good. The financials are turning around. The streaming losses have narrowed. He's on track to meet or exceed the $7.5 billion in cost cuts that were demanded. And the projections are mostly strong, which led the stock to jump about 12% today. It's just what the shareholders want to see. And not great news for Peltz, whose only statement after the earnings was, it's deja vu all over again. We saw this movie last year and we didn't like the ending. Not sure what that means. Iger also announced a whole bunch of new things, partnerships, projects, part of what Iger calls his building phase. First and foremost is this new joint venture for sports streaming that we talked about yesterday. Go to that episode if you want to hear more. But there was everything from a new $1.5 billion investment in Epic Games, which makes Fortnite, to the launch date of fall 2025 for ESPN's own streaming service, to a new Moana movie that's coming to theaters for Thanksgiving. Oh, and the Taylor Swift concert movie is also coming to Disney Plus on March 15th, which is conveniently two weeks before that big shareholder meeting. Just enough time to put out a viewership boast for all investors to see. Iger was in full kitchen sink mode on this call, throwing everything at the media and the investor community. So much so that he even impressed today's guest, Rich Greenfield, the light shed analyst, who's kind of been a thorn in Disney's side for many years. I wanted to have Rich back on the show today to break down the earnings what Disney is getting right and wrong from his perspective, what the heck this sports streamer is actually going to be, and the big question, is Disney back on track? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Rich Greenfield, a founder of Lightshed Partners and an analyst that covers the Walt Disney Company very closely. Welcome, Rich. Thanks for having me, Matt. Nice to be back. Yeah, returning champion. So of all the announcements, what was most significant to you, maybe most impressive to you? Well, look, I think recognizing that Disney doesn't do video games in-house well, right? Or acquire, you know, they've bought several companies, effectively killed them. Uh, they've <laughs> Unintentionally no, killed uh, them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, they certainly have not done a great job either in buying or investing. RIP Club Penguin. Yeah, I mean, think about how many times they've tried to incubate things internally. Like, it's just, they've never figured it out. 
So I think Disney, not just being a licensor, they've had a long history of licensing to third parties, but now actually having skin in the game by making the investment in Epic, I think makes a tremendous amount of sense. And I think their IP lends itself to, uh, you know, sort of this virtual world future of play. I mean, if you think about what kids are doing, right? Kids are not getting home from school and turning on the TV the way you and I did, Matt, when we were young. People are spending more and more time in virtual world. So Disney should want to be there. Oh, it's been obvious for years. I mean, this whole thing with the metaverse and how Bob Chapek set up this division for the metaverse and what that was going to be. It was obvious the metaverse is just virtual gaming with commerce attached and community attached. And now they can do that with an established player that actually knows what they're doing. Sure, but let's just take a little step back and temper. Remember, this isn't launching before 2027. So Bob Iger won't even be CEO when this launches. So yes, this was the right idea. I think it would have been great if they had realized this three or four years ago (laughs) so that it already would exist. Right. Same thing with streaming, right? Like Disney was late, right? Like they sort of were stuck in the legacy, the, the profitability and the difficulty of cannibalizing themselves. They got to streaming. They're certainly late, but they've caught up faster than their peers have. But there's no doubt that they were late to that game. And so I think it's great that they recognize what seems to be a very smart strategy in interactive experiences. I think this is a very logical sort of taking their theme park business, which has been on fire, and thinking about how they recreate that theme park type experience in the gaming world makes sense. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So I think that was probably the piece that was most exciting of yesterday's news. On the content side, Disney's been struggling. I mean, you, Matt, you and I have talked about this multiple times over the last couple of years. I mean, Disney's really suffering. Think about Disney Plus. I mean, there's a show called Echo. It's a Marvel series that it wasn't even, I don't even think it was mentioned last night. Like no one's even talking about the fact that there's Marvel content that came out on Disney Plus. What they're talking about is Taylor Swift, right? Yeah. Well, and then they renewed Percy Jackson. I think Percy Jackson was actually a pretty big deal for Disney because they have struggled to have any branded content on the service that was not Marvel or Star Wars that meant anything. And this is a big swing. They spent a ton of money on this show and it worked. They charted on Nielsen. They renewed it for a second season. So that's, that is a good narrative for them. And they announced that, but it's not Taylor Swift. And I think it sort of speaks to, they're trying to figure out how they have content. Obviously the the strike certainly didn't help them. But I think the bigger question is how long will it take to get the creative engines firing on all cylinders? And, you know, they talked a lot about sequels and a lot of what was discussed in terms of the slate over the next few years is obviously all tied to sequels rather than new original IP. That seems to be the answer right now in the short term is that they have either delayed or are downplaying the original stuff. And they took this Moana TV series and are refashioning it into Moana 2 which is now being fast-tracked for Thanksgiving. Before the earnings, they took an original Pixar movie, Elio, that was scheduled to come out in March, which would have been terribly risky timing before the shareholder meeting. They pushed that to next year. And now they're going all in on Inside Out 2 for the summer. So the sequel machine, I think, is just going to be ramped up. And that seems to be the short-term answer to creativity. 
the question is, does it work, right? Like, is this going to resonate with consumers? And, and that's the big open question. Obviously, that SQL engine hasn't worked very well over the last couple of years. Will this? We'll see. I mean, obviously, Moana is an incredible title. I mean, going back to when Moana was on Netflix, this thing has repeatedly been the most watched streamed movie for years and years. I mean, it's it is pretty remarkable. Amazing. A 2016 movie was number one on Nielsen last year. And the number two movie was Encanto, both with music by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Now, interestingly, he is not involved in Moana too. Look, if Ted Sarandos was here, he would tell you that when Disney had their output deal with Netflix, Moana was watched more than Avengers Endgame. <laughs> it's literally, it's like crack. I mean, that's, that's girl. a bonker statistic, right? Yeah. So Disney needs to make content that people care about, where people are singing the songs and they want to yeah. watch it. Well, but it. it's not just that. It's not just, this is a shift in strategy because Moana was greenlit as a Disney Plus television series with a massive budget. I heard it's like 150 for a television series at a time when building up Disney Plus was the priority. Iger looks at that. Alan Bergman looks at that and says, okay, we need franchise movies in theaters to reverse this slide. So all of a sudden, the $150 million Moana TV show turns into a Moana movie, they probably have to pay The Rock a bit more. They probably have to put a little bit more into it and, and refashion it creatively. But that's a sign of where the priorities are right now and is getting this franchise machine back up running. And it'll go on Disney Plus anyways. They'll make a few hundred million dollars in theaters. Best case scenario gets to a billion and then it'll go on the service. That is the shift in the industry that we've seen over the past two years. If it's good, could it be the biggest movie of the year? Sure. There's not a lot of competition. Well, it's up against Wicked, which is aimed at the same audience. But but that's we'll see how how big Wicked plays. But bigger picture, financial pictures here. Do you see signs other than sequels of the creative engines getting back on track? I think that's the the big open question. What is driving? You know, they're about to. They you know, essentially they've bought, but the final payment will be determined soon. But they're buying in the rest of Hulu. They clearly need content to fuel these two services, not just to keep the subscriber growth going. Remember, as more and more of the revenue growth of all of streaming moves towards advertising, the only way you get paid in advertising is on watch time. Like you need engagement. And so having subscribers is great and all, but often these advertising plans are much cheaper than the ad-free plans. And so in order to make this a really good business, you need watch time. And so you really need to get people where they are watching, you know, substantial amounts of time every single day. And we'll see. I, I think that's where the, the big question mark is. You're essentially, you've taken a lot of content off. You, you made the comment about sort of moving from what was going to be, I don't know, how many hours of a TV series to a probably 90 minute movie, right? So yes, it's a great piece of content potentially, but it's certainly less overall content for Disney+. Plus. Do you have enough content to keep people to drive advertising dollars and to keep growing subs? Like that's the big open question. Well, especially question when they've cut so much because well, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. They've cut and cut and cut. Can you do both? Like, and I'm, this is not just Disney. I mean, if we looked across the whole ecosystem right now, all of these companies, right? What, what is the overall strategy? It has been to raise the price of ad free pretty dramatically. Yeah. Keep a low price for ad supported, reduce the content and reduce the marketing spend and move towards profitability. 
Like that has been, again, all of these companies are all sort of a yeah, similar you're, strategy you're, right now. You're sort of talking out of both sides of your mouth because you're saying they need more, more, more content, but you're also saying they need to cut, cut, cut costs. So which, which is no, it? No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying they need to cut costs. I think they are cutting Well, costs. the market is saying that. The market's rewarding them for obviously cutting costs in the short term. The question is, is that the best long-term strategy? I mean, I know why they're focusing on ramping the dividend and doing the buyback. Yeah. I get all of the pressure they're under. Should they be investing more and actually being super aggressive on the content side? We'll see. I mean, I, I still think, you know, the, the open question is getting the big franchises back on track. Lucas, Marvel have suffered in recent years. That's what the market, in terms of what will make the stock move dramatically higher from here, proof points that they're back on track. Like Deadpool 3 needs to be good, right? Like they need to get that. Inside Out 2 and Moana need to work. Like they need to show that the core silos are working. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone has confidence right now. That's what will take the stock meaningfully higher is proving to Wall Street, proving to the creative community that they're back. Speaking of time spent on the platform, that gets us to the already infamous sports bundle streaming service that we talked about on yesterday's show. So we're not, we're not going to get totally into it, but you made some interesting points that we have not discussed in a piece that you guys put out on your website. And it gets to the financial rationalization for these companies to do this. And you note that the costs, the fees that you pay and the content costs are going to be dumped on this new entity that will be one third owned by each partners, which is very beneficial to the balance sheets of the parent companies. Do you think that that is the primary motivator in doing this? No, I think the primary motivator is a realization that a single channel sports streaming service, meaning ESPN's flagship channel, mm -hmm. going direct to consumer is not that interesting. It just isn't broad enough. It's fine, but that is not all that interesting. Putting it together with more content at $40 a month is far more interesting to a consumer. It's just not enough. And I think it's sort of Iger recognizing that the bundle's what works. Like Disney likes bundling. They've always liked bundling. That's the entire business model has been built around bundling. You can't take the bundling out of the bundler. Like this is what they do. <laughs> No, seriously, like that's the point. Like that's what they do. They know yeah. bundling. They're not a D to C company, right? And so by bundling this content together, they make their ESPN streaming far more viable. They get all of these channels to generate dollars for them. And so it's a way of getting basically, you know, prolonging the ecosystem that they know and love. Now, whether consumers want this is a whole other question that we can certainly get into, but that's the rationale for why they're doing it. And then the one-third ownership is just, hey, it takes a lot of cost. If you go back to the early days of Hulu, same idea. It takes a lot of cost to build a streaming platform, market a streaming platform, the technology. Putting all of that cost into a JV that's only one-third owned means that from an earnings standpoint, it becomes a below-the-line item. So this is right. very financially beneficial, just the way the early days of Hulu. Like This is the Hulu playbook all over again. That's what I was getting at. And I think that that is creative on the financial side at a time when all of these companies need 
as much cash as they can on hand and they want to invest, but not spend too much investing. Look, I think the big open question, which nobody would answer, is how much cash is going into this. If you remember back in the Hulu days, both Comcast, Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers, when they were part of it, they all had to make substantial cash contributions. Like there will be a lot of cash that goes into this. Again, well, that's what they ended up fighting over. That's what they ended up fighting over, too. But there will be a lot of cash that goes into this if consumers care. If it even launches. I mean, you've raised questions as to whether it will even launch this aggressive timetable for the fall when we don't even know if they're even working on this app yet. Plus, you raised some antitrust issues, which I thought were pretty interesting because this does screw over the current carrier. It screws over a lot of people, <laughs> but it, it it mostly screws over the current carriers of these multi-channel bundles because these three companies are essentially launching a skinny bundle for sports at a time when the traditional carriers have asked to do that and have been told no. The way I've sort of thought about it is, imagine Warner Music, Universal Music, and Sony Music. They set up a joint venture. So their own sort of Spotify, right? Mm -hmm. They only sell to that joint venture. They only sell a portion of the music. They don't have to buy everything. They only buy certain genres. They leave off a whole bunch of genres. And so because of that, the cost is substantially lower to the joint venture than what they make available to Spotify and Apple, who has to take everything. And so the joint venture can actually charge a lower price because it has lower costs than what they sell to the third parties. Hmm. Would that be okay? Like, that's what I don't. No. And well, the difference is, is that there are only three major music companies and there are many more studios and there are specifically two of the biggest ones that are not included in this. So there are other options for consumers. But I see what you are saying here. It's, it, it definitely favors this consortium over their traditional customers. It makes available something that they've never allowed the normal distributors, the third-party distributors to offer. Like, DirecTV can't offer, has not historically. I'm sure they've always wanted to offer a Oh, yeah, they love bundle. it. Are you kidding? They all want that. They don't, they don't want all those garbage networks that nobody watches. And if you take ESPN, you've got to take the garbage, you know, Disney family or whatever's our free form and those, those cable networks. The, the interesting thing that it has me thinking about is whether or not this launches, have we opened Pandora's box? Like, I just wonder whether like we're starting down a path of true a la carte, true unbundling. Have we just unleashed a major industry change? Or as you said, does nobody really want this and it, or will it never launch because of a regulatory issue? Well, it depends on two things, I think. One is price. And that's the big unknowable now. You have predicted in your newsletter that it's going to be 35 initially, escalating to 40 in year two. I agree with you. I think it'll be around 35. Most people think it'll be 40 to 50, but they're walking this line where it can't be too expensive because they want people to adopt it, but it can't be too cheap because they don't want too many people to adopt it. And that kills their linear business. Sports is really hard. You are still licensing. I mean, look, they've got to go out and pay up for the NBA. Like, I think you need the NBA to make something like this palatable. You're like, no one's going to pay $40 a month if it only has a lot of content for a few months of the year. I still struggle with why Disney seems so emphatic about leaning into sports and the sports future, but there's no doubt they fully are committed to building out 
sports into the digital future. I've said that from the beginning. If you know Iger at all, he he's a sports guy. He doesn't think that you can be a modern mega media company and be out of the sports business. It, and I agree with him. Like, it's just such a fundamentally missing element. Look at Netflix. Will Netflix be a fully diversified global media company if they don't have sports? I don't think so. Look, I think it's hard to imagine Netflix over a 10 plus year period won't be bigger in sports in some capacity. I think the question just is, again, I keep coming back to this whole new package to me is a clear admission that D to C sports, like taking a single network over the top, it is just a very tough business model to make that work. Sports, because of the way it's seasonal and not everyone is a fan of every sport, you need heft. And my guess is what Disney is thinking here is not just taking this bundle with Warner Brothers and with Fox. My guess is this is all about one thing, Matt, bundling that new product along with Disney Plus and Hulu. Yeah. So my guess is a 40 to $45 bundle with all of that, and that this is all really about creating sort of what I would call the new Disney bundle, like where they are basically getting most of the economics from this new bundle. And the costs are all off balance sheet. It's sort of a brilliant Iger financial concept. And they shoehorn in these networks because these networks are coming as is. It's not like they're just going to carve out the sports on TNT. You're also going to get the Transformers movies and whatever else is airing on TNT as well through this service because they have to put the entire channel on the service. So it's sort of a backdoor way of creating a new skinny bundle that cuts out the traditional carrier and splits the economics between these three partners. Yeah, I mean, it's Hulu Live, but without NBC and CBS. And yeah, yes, you don't have it. Like there's other cable networks you've cut out, but like overly simplistically, like that's effectively what you're, you know, you're just skinnying down. The main unknown is, is there customers for this? Like, is this really what millions of customers want? Lachlan Murdoch says there's 50 million people out there that want this. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, we'll certainly see. And look, the, the risk to all of these companies, I think it's less of a risk to Disney than to Fox and Warner Brothers Discovery is do people downgrade from YouTube TV or downgrade from Hulu Live? Because that obviously, you know, you lose a lot of channels. Yeah, I've seen both ways on this for Fox. I've seen that this is screwing Fox News because it's taking the value out of the bundle. So the bundle is just going to go downhill and Fox News is going to go down with it. I've seen the opposite, where now Fox News is even more important to the bundle because there's no necessary sports in it. So you're going to have to pay Fox News higher affiliate fees to keep it on the on the spectrum. Could you imagine, though, being someone who's looking at buying Paramount right now and realizing that there's a new bundle that's going to potentially be marketed pretty aggressively without Paramount in it? Well, Byron Allen probably doesn't care. He just wants those assets. <laughs> I know I've said the B word. I'm triggering you. Look, life is getting a lot tougher for linear television. Uh, I think that's why you're seeing sort of this willingness to even try something like this new, you know, your sports plus moniker. Look, this is a very tough environment for legacy media. And so they're trying new things and they're breaking, they're breaking glass, right? Things that they would never have done and never even contemplated doing a few years ago. I don't talk to a lot of investors that are raising their hand that they love the linear cable network business. 
And that's still a huge part of Paramount. And so if you were consolidating into an existing company, there's a price you would pay. If you're buying this straight outright, like with no, you know, sort of no ability to merge and create cost savings from integration, you generally pay a much lower price. I mean, the way a private equity firm looks at a transaction is like, you know, they have to really protect their downside. And it's very hard to look out over the next couple of years and have a lot of confidence in the linear TV business, especially when you see things like this, like, hey, if this bundle really is compelling, that is not good for either NBC or for CBS. No, not at all. Uh, All right. So is the proxy battle over? Does this silence Nelson Peltz? You would have to have Nelson Peltz on. I can't speak for him. I literally have no idea. I'm saying, practically speaking, is any rational Disney shareholder going to vote for a Nelson Peltz slate when the stock seems to be doing fine or on the upswing and Iger seems to at least be telegraphing that he has a plan? It was pretty exciting to listen to. Now it's can they deliver, right? Like saying all the movies they went through, like Mufasa, like, is Mufasa a big movie, Matt? Like when you when you and Lucas are debating your predictions, like is that a big one? It, it better or, be. Like, I picked it for my team. <laughs> well, but I'm saying like when you make sequels, you have the risk, right, of hurting franchises or building franchises. And, and I think that's the question is Disney's done a lot of lackluster sequels and franchise development over the past few years. Are we seeing that turn? And will 2024 start to evidence that turn? If that's the case, this thing has lots of room to run because I think at the heart of Disney is content. If the content is working, everything else takes care of itself. And franchise content. This is a company built on family franchises that can be monetized across many different businesses. And if there is one thing that Disney historically has done well, it's franchise hits. So we're going to have chances this year. We got You mentioned them. We got three big chances with Inside Out, with Moana now, and with Lion King Mufasa. Those are three hit movies that are getting sequels, and we will see if Disney can still create these franchises. That's really the answer to your question of like what happens over the next year, right? Is if those franchises can take back off and they can really demonstrate that the IP cycle is hot again. Because like for five or six years, they were unstoppable. And for the last three, it's been, you know, not so great. Well, I look forward to you monitoring on Twitter with memes about whether Iger is doing well or not well on any given day. So thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. Have a great week. All right, we're back with the call sheet. Craig, we're staying on Disney today. Have you followed this Gina Carano lawsuit against Disney that is now being backed by Twitter and Elon Musk? This falls under the category of I don't care. Oh, you don't. See, I do. It's an interesting legal issue. And I used to litigate these kinds of cases. So I'm very interested in this stuff. She's claiming she sued in federal court in California. She says she was fired from her role on The Mandalorian after she voiced some right wing opinions on social media. Um, I think that's a very nice way of saying it. it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There was some Nazi stuff. There was, you know, anti-trans stuff. There there were some pretty uh, racy comments. Uh, Side note, studios need to make their stars put software on their phones that prevents them from posting the word Nazi on social media. It It never ends well with Nazis. So, like, in her contract, does it state that she she's not allowed to, you know, damage the company in any way by on, on social media? 
I have not seen her contract, but I bet that she has a morals clause in it that, uh, you know, prevents her from bringing the company into ill repute or whatever the language is. But what she's saying is that she was fired because of her views, and that is discrimination. The thing that people don't quite understand, and this is my prediction today, I think this case will be dismissed. The First Amendment doesn't apply to corporations and private actors. It is typically applied to the government. And if they Disney has a policy and she violates that policy, they can fire her. Now, my colleague at Puck, Eric Gardner, has written that there is a California law that states that you cannot be fired for political activity. And the question, and he thinks the court will have to reconcile, is does tweeting crazy shit count as political activity? And obviously, Gina Carano would argue that it does. I think Disney would probably argue that it doesn't and that, you know, you can't say offensive things that bring the company into a bad light and then lean on the crutch of political activity to justify it. And I think my prediction is that the judge in this case will side with Disney and that this will be dismissed and that it'll be an anti-slap suit and... Carano and Elon Musk will have to pay Disney's legal fees. It's hilarious that Elon Musk is bu- is backing her and financing. Hilarious her. yet entirely predictable. He also says he's going to start suing Disney all the time. Iger was asked about it yesterday and declined to comment. But he's you know he's very much in the fuck Disney mode, which he said at a conference last year. I just feel like if there's not if, if people are tweeting about like Nazi justification, this is an easy case. <laughs> A political activity, perhaps. Uh, yeah, Nazi, Nazism is a political party uh, in their mind, perhaps. But um, yeah, it's not a good look. I would think if any company has the right to fire someone for making incendiary comments that might damage the brand, it would be the Walt Disney Company, which really does have a certain brand. Now, Elon Musk would say that it's a woke mind virus brand, and he's been tweeting <laughs> diversity inclusion standards to try to shame Disney for trying to be more more diverse. But uh, I have a feeling this case will be dismissed. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Rich Greenfield, producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez, and I want to thank you. We will see you next week. 